It's so good to see you. Thank you for asking me to be on this. It's so good to see your beautiful, beautiful, shiny, angelic face. Everybody, my guest today is the, God, what are the words for this lady? The incomparable, <laughs> amazing, Raya Bendwald. No. I have known for years, I've had the pleasure of being in many an audition waiting room with her. Mm -hmm. uh, she's born and raised in New York City. She went to the High School of the Performing Arts. She has an unbelievable roll of toilet paper like mine as a resume. Everything from Suddenly Susan years ago to now The Morning Show. I mean, and everything in between. There's like nothing you haven't done. <gasps> oh my gosh. I just got chills when you said that. I love reliving my resume. It makes me feel like happy. And accomplished. Yeah, because we spend so much time feeling the opposite in between jobs. But then when we relive them, we go, wow, it's been an amazing journey. You and I, I mean, I really, our relationship was born in audition rooms. That's where we really fell in love with each other. And I say like, if they wanted the blonde version, I might get it. If they want the darker haired version, Alicia's going to get it. That's right. That's right. I would always say when I was reading something, they don't want me. They want Drea. They Aww. don't want me for this. Oh, yeah. and something that you and I had, which I want to promote, and it's why I lead circles, and is that you and I always rooted for each other. We always helped each other. We always shared information with each other. And women, in especially in the world of acting, weren't really taught how to do that. And I used to watch guys do it. Guys do it all the time. They would high five and did you get that job and da da da. And I would watch other women like sit there and, you know, just think about themselves, except you and I never did that. We were always rooting for each other, which is maybe one of the reasons why I, you, you have, you have much more of a staggering um, accomplished career than I do acting wise, I would say, but which is why I think we hung in there as long as we did because we rooted for other people, not just ourselves. You're right. A lot of the other girls would sit there with their sides up in their faces and they wouldn't talk to anybody. They wouldn't make contact. It was like engaging the terrorists. You just <laughs> engaging the enemy. We don't engage the enemy. I never looked at it that way because if they want you, they don't want me. I never felt a sense of competition with my fellow actress. I felt just the opposite. You and I, whenever we would see each other, I don't even think we focused on the audition. I, think I don't think we did. We did. I don't think we did. We no, did. we never did. Perhaps we'd be farther along, had we? Uh, <laughs> it was more important for us to talk about uh, when was the right time to have children. Mm -hmm. We always went real deep, real quick. Mm -hmm. It's like we had a circle in the audition room, in, yeah. the, in the waiting room. You know, this book, um, Jeff Bridges uh, uh, co-wrote a book called uh, The Dude and the Zen Master. And I didn't read this book until maybe five, six years ago. And it changed my life as an actor. And it's what you and I are talking about, which is why would we be in an audition room and not be communicating and relating and taking each other in and listening when that's what we're gonna have to go recreate in a room for producers. Why, why would we be sitting here in like a box with ourselves, with our script, 
And that's what he talked about, that that's his, that's what Jeff Bridges talks about in this book is that it's his job to recreate connection. So on every set that he's on, all he's doing is connecting with people, connecting with hair and makeup, connecting with the grip, connecting with every actor that he's in a scene with. And that, cha that changed my life because it gave me even more permission to do what you and I were doing naturally. And that is to be connecting all the time because that's, that's, our, that's our job as artists. Well, I think that we were ahead of our time because I also think it's really pertinent when you go into any of those any of those waiting rooms. It's kind of like being in the doctor's waiting room. You know, it's, it's, it's very stressful. And mm -hmm. you're basically walking in to, I used to call auditions scheduled rejections. <laughs> you know, it's three o'clock, I'm gonna be told no, it's fine. I'm just letting yeah. you. Um, but to, it also helps to let off steam yeah. and let yes. that energy out by talking with somebody, by laughing with somebody, so that when you're going into that room to sit with those producers and the director and the writer, you're coming in on a high, you're coming in with a smile. You're not yeah. coming in with your yeah. face in paper. Yeah, you're coming in warmed up. Warmed up with a world that just happened five minutes ago. I think it's really right. important. So I think, and this is what is fascinating about the work that you do, you said, about the art of circling mm -hmm, mm -hmm. is to be seen, to be heard and witnessed is a safe and sacred way. And it's more healing than anything else. Mm -hmm. So I think even back then, that's what you were doing. You were circling, you were circling the wagons and you were circling the energy. Mm -hmm. And my question to you is, you've had such an amazing acting career. You have a husband of many, many years, like me and Anthony, you have two children. At what point was it something within you that needed to heal? Is this why you went into this to help mm -hmm. others? Or what was the turning point for you? Oh my gosh. I, that's such a great, great uh, question. Cause it, it does, I know exactly when it happened. It was, yes, I, I, became fascinated with circling. When I first came to Los Angeles, it was, I was 25 and I landed with a group of amazing women, you know, all of them up in, up in Laurel Canyon. And they were, they were looking into, they were like dabbling in this thing called circling. And it changed my life the second I did it. And that is, it helped me find this, this like truer voice of mine, right? This authentic voice, the voice I'm using right now, the voice that's not afraid to be seen and heard, the voice that trusts myself, that loves myself, yada, yada, yada. So on, in one direction here, I was falling in love with this thing called circling. In another direction, I was, I was venturing over here and on the road to, be, to being a professional actress. I thought there were two separate roads. So let's just start there. I thought, I can't have this like spiritual life and also be an actor. It was like one or the other. So I really was like, acting was my trajectory. I had to become a successful actress. That's what I was born to do, trained to do, gonna do it. But then on this other road, I really had this love of circling. So I was doing that in like my private life. And I remember when I was, I think I was 33 and I had worked in television, done a bunch of jobs and 
now I was looking for the next job and I was testing, 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 show after show after show. You know, I'd see you at a test. I'd see, I mean, you name it, you name successful actress, that's who I was testing alongside of. But I wasn't getting the job. And my ego was crushed. And I just remember going, I can't do this anymore because my ego wanted it so bad. Cut to, I have this incredibly fulfilling private life of being in circles and leading circles. And I remember it was that moment where I went, I can't, I can't do the competition anymore I, because my ego was, was dying, thankfully, but it was getting so beat up. And that's when I got a teepee and that's when I got a teepee in my backyard in Beverly Hills. And I started leading circles, not as a career, but as like, I, I just knew I had to do it. So it was that, that moment. I never quit acting, but I quit pursuing it from an ego point of view. Circling got me back into, it's really like they're one in the same, you know, acting is storytelling circling is the origin of storytelling we would sit around a campfire and tell stories that's the origin so they're really the same art form but being in a circle creating ceremony creating a sacred space for us to exchange stories that became the healing modality that i needed now i love acting i'll always be an actress I love, I, I love it so much, but my, but my ego doesn't depend on it. It's really now I'm only, I, I only um, gravitate towards, or it happens that I only do jobs that really feel amazing and fulfilling, but that's from all those years of circling and getting to know myself in, in, in those circles. It like healed, it healed my ego, I think, because I got so caught up in my ego in when I was trying to be a working actress. By ego, do you mean your sense of value, your sense of self-worth, your sense yeah. of self-definition that if you are not working as an actress, then clearly your, your value is not as strong as it is if you are working, your sense of self-worth? I got away from the artistry of acting. So the ego was make money, make more money, become well-known, become more well-known. Yes, define me, define me, define me. And I got away from how I originally got into acting, which was I'm an artist. This is my art form. This is how I love to express. This is how I love to create. I mean, I'm just talking about my own personal trajectory with it. My ego got out of balance and which is probably why I wasn't getting the jobs because I wasn't, I wasn't coming at it as, oh, this is, this is, this is who I am. This is my art form. This is my offering. Even though it was, I think it was my, my ego kind of kicked me off the path and kicked me into the circles, thankfully. And back to the auditioning, I believe what you said that we were like circling in the, or I said it, we both said it, um, circling in the, in the waiting room is sometimes I think I remained an actress. I mean, if I auditioned once, I, I've, I've auditioned 5,000 times, just like you. I mean, act, act, a, a career in acting is a career in auditioning, right? 
if you're a working actor, you're just, you're not, never not auditioning. And sometimes I think I was just meant to go to those auditions to connect with those people, not necessarily to get the job, but I had more incredible connections in audition rooms or in auditions with producers and, and directors than, than any other any other place. And I look back on that time and I value it so much. I made so many, you and I, I made so many incredible connections, which we still like you ended up teaching with me in UCLA at the professional programs. And that was just because of our friendship that we had developed over the, over the years. So our circle continues and now we get to do this and who knows what we'll do, you know, 10 years from now. I can't wait. I know. That was a that was a huge thing for me when you invited me to come and guest teach with you at UCLA. And then when you actually facilitated me having my own uh, night there to teach. I, being a working actress, being a mom, being a wife, there, it's, it's so much. And it's so much, you know, Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. You know, it's just <laughs> every day I get up and it's just all about what's inside this house, right? Or it's about what's going on, you know. Uh, with work. And you taught me that teaching was actually being of service. Mm -hmm. I felt that I was being in service for those three hours to people mm -hmm. who were so appreciative of what I had to say. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I realized when you are teaching, you are circling. Yeah. You're being open. It's a safe place to be seen. It's a safe place to be heard. It's a safe place to play. And the more you teach actually is the more you learn. Mm -hmm. So for me, those two years of teaching were such a gift. Mm. And, so glad. and then it also made me look at my children and go, why don't you listen to me? Because I have, <laughs> I know some things. These kids are hanging on my every word. Why aren't you? Why aren't you? They look at me like puppies and like I have a treat. My kids, no, nothing, nothing. Isn't that the truth? I think I even said that in a fit of parental frustration the other day. I was like, you know, a lot of people come to me for, for answers. <laughs> like, like I was, and he, my son just looked at me like, yeah, okay. But like, whatever, yeah. I'm not. Not right now, yeah. move on. Exactly. <laughs> the other thing that fascinates me about you, um, A, your upbringing is just, mm. I mean, it's like, you know, you are Eloise of the Lower East Side, right? Or the Lower mm -hmm. West Side? Lower West Side, yeah, Greenwich Village, New yep. York. I love that. And you did a one woman show, and I wanna say you did this in college about uh -huh. Uh -huh. Marsha P. Johnson. Oh my gosh, yeah. And uh, that is a world that's become very close to me in my personal life. And for those mm. of you who don't know who Marsha P. Johnson is, A, shame on you. And B, um, she was one of the premier uh, trans, black trans females in the New York City during the 70s, I want to say. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. she was a pioneer and a trailblazer mm -hmm. for the LGBTQ community. Um, what brought you into, in, into that world? to do the one woman show. Oh my gosh. Okay, so it's such a trippy story. I was a senior in college, had to write a one woman show 
and wanted to write the ideal role of what I wanted to play. So I wrote about a rookie female police officer in Greenwich Village. And I knew one of them. And so I would, I interviewed the police officer. And so not, none of this, none of the, um, of the show was uh, biographical of the police officer or Marsha, but inspired by the world. So inspired by the world I grew up in, police officers, and then also this really incredible uh, village that I grew up in. And Marsha was one of the staple figures that I knew. Everybody knew Marsha. So my show wasn't about Marsha, but my the, the, the second character that I play in the show's name was Marsha, who, who turns out to be, we don't know it during the play. She's, it's a prostitute character. And then there's the police officer character. And we don't know until the end of the play that Marsha was transgender. We think she's a female. The police officer thinks she's a, she's a biological female. Uh, throughout the play and teaches the police officer all about um, femininity and her power as a woman. And the reason I wrote this play is because I was fascinated by all of this as a young person, um, how people identify with their, their gender identity, their sexuality, their, uh, like you name it, there are so many different layers to it. And I, so that's why I wrote this play to explore it. I was exploring my own strength as a woman. Uh, I sometimes thought that my strength as a woman meant that I should act male. And what the play explored was that was a false sense of empowerment. And Marcia teaches the police officer really what her her true power is, and that is in embracing her femininity, right? So there were a lot of layers to this play. I wrote it. It was, it was wildly um, um, accepted at my college. It, it, they still use it as like a teaching model at the college for the, for the senior thesis program. And then I went back to New York. And after I graduated from college, I went back to New York. Oh, and in the play, I'm sorry, in the play, the Marsha character dies um, in an unfortunate way at the hands of another police officer. Marsha hadn't died yet in real life. I came back to New York. I was waitressing at a restaurant on 10th Street and there was a protest going by the restaurant and I came outside to see what it was. And people were carrying signs saying justice for Marsha. And Marsha had been murdered. The real Marsha had been murdered. And the activists in the community were marching to the sixth precinct to demand that they reopen the case because they had ruled it a suicide. And everybody that knew Marsha knew that she never would have committed suicide, that it had to have been a hate crime and that she was murdered and they found her body in the Hudson River. So my relationship to Marsha is so crazy that I wrote this play inspired by her presence, but not really about her, but her image and her persona was such a part of my childhood that I named the character after after her 
And the parallel of what happened in the play that I wrote, but then ended up happening to her afterwards. And it goes on and on, these very strange layers of how this play is connected to that story. I'll just tell you one more. You know, our, our uh, soul sister, Maria Bello, who is one of our, um, you know, sisters in, in acting and all things. Um, she came to see the play. I ended up doing the play in, I, I produced it in New York and then also here in LA and it went to the Aspen Comedy Festival when they were still doing that with HBO. Maria came and saw the play when I was doing it on like Theater Row and on Santa Monica Boulevard. And she came running up to me afterwards, bawling. And I was like, what's happening? And she was the one, Maria Bello in the West Village was the one who found Marsha's body in the Hudson River. Wow. And called the cops and, and, and she was there on the pier. And we had never, like, we didn't know that connection until she saw the play, which was now at this point, obviously Marcia had been, had passed. And anyway, there's just all these incredible um, stories related to this, to this woman who had such an impact on so many people's lives. And and I never really knew her. I just knew, I just knew of her and I admired her. And I, and she was a kooky, kooky character. But the reason I named my character after her was that she knew so, she, she projected this persona of that she knew who she was. And that was, she was female and she embodied the feminine spirit and she fought for, um, equality, not only for herself, but for people who, you know, who, who, who wouldn't even know about her till long after she was gone. And it's so exciting to see what, what they've done with her, with her foundation and what they're doing now that her, her legacy is living, living on with, with her foundation and reaching so many, so many people. What year was it that Marsha died? It was 92. 92, okay. Yeah. So I find it, and you moved out here in when? 94, 95. Yeah, I think I came out in like 96, 97. Um, yeah, I find, I just find that story very interesting because you were already you now, then, but when mm. this whole journey to actually name what it is that you do with the circling. Yeah. I, I, was very, I was very insecure. Like I was doing what I was doing, but I had no sense of um, uh, like self-esteem or self-worth. Like on the outside, that's what everybody thought about me. But on the inside, I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what I should be doing. I was like a scared little kid until I got out here and started circling. That's when I found my, my power, my voice, or I, or I don't know, or I, or I lined up with it, or I accepted myself. That's, why, that's what it is. That's where I found self-acceptance. And that's, that's who you're talking to now. You, if you would talk to me back then, I wouldn't be able to talk about it this way. I was just like, I don't know, I'm writing this show or 
I don't know, I want to be an actress or, look you know. You were writing it about finding your female power. You were, and you were writing about yourself, but through these two characters. So actually you were kind of self-circling. If you, if you think about it back then, you were, yeah. you were exploring what it meant to be female, what it meant to be in this gender, to be in this sexual body. And mm -hmm. what did that look like? Mm -hmm. And I just find that correlation um, and then, of course, to have Maria Bello be the person who found Marsha and then come to you after you do the play here. And so you're already creating the circle. It's incredible. And you're, you're nailing it. And that is the art of circling is about the, the exploration, the realization, the practice that everything is connected all the time. We're all connected all the time. We're all part of the same earth, under the same sky, stars. Your truth is my truth. Your pain is my pain. We're all connected. And it's so exciting when you get into the practice of realizing it, of, of, of seeing it. There's one more layer to the story that is mind blowing. And I hope it translates in this storytelling. And that is recently, I'd say in the last year, maybe it was a year ago, a documentary came out about Marsha in the documentary and I'm watching it in my kitchen one day. Of course You're I'm watching on. it, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm but I didn't know it. I see myself as a 23-year-old that protest that I was talking yeah, about. The protest the goes by the restaurant and I step out. I had I had no memory of this. No memory of this until I saw it. I step out of the restaurant and I say what's going on? And someone says, did you know Marsha? And I go, and I don't go into the fact that I wrote a one woman show that she uh, inspired. I go, I go, oh my, you see my little baby face. Oh my gosh, Marsha was the, one of the sweetest people I ever knew. That's all you, and I'm standing in my kitchen, like what is happening? We are in some like time bending, moment and that's when I was like this is why I love life it's all connected we're all connected it's all connected and here is the the circle just coming back around I remember again I stopped and I rewound I was like is that trail what is <laughs> what is going on I was like wait a minute that's like no. baby, that's oh my god and then I realized that that's you the show. no idea no idea I had no memory of it I had no I I think I was so uh, caught in seeing the protest and stepping outside that I don't remember there was a camera and that someone asked, in, interviewed me about what I was, what I was seeing. Isn't that crazy? Mm -hmm. And also that, that same year, I was invited back to my uh, college, uh, my alma mater, Wright State University, where I had written a one-woman show as my senior thesis. It's part of the program. Everybody does one in the theater department. And was standing on the stage where I where I performed that, and I guess it was 25 years ago or longer, 27, eight years ago, and telling that story. So I was in another little like spin cycle of of the circle and in, in reliving that. It's the power of storytelling, like storytelling lives on and on and on. And that's all we have are our stories, our stories. And it's why you and I are storytellers with acting. It's like it's the, it's the most profound medium there is. I just went back to the 
origin of it. And that is sitting in a circle face to face and, and sharing our stories as, as a healing, as a healing practice. I just spoke with um, Melina Moy, who is, mm. she is uh, not since Elizabeth Cotton and sister Rosetta Tharp, um, two of the black female rock and roll pioneers during the early 1900s. Wow. Um, Melina is a woman of color, left-handed, upside down guitarist. She's like the female Jimi Hendrix. Oh yeah, 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 right. She's, yes, she is, you would love her. You two would get along so well. She said something in, in the interview that we are all, all of our stories are our handprint. Mm. They are, they are our handprint. My handprint is different than yours, right? Yours is different than mine, as are our stories. And I said to her, we were talking a little bit, and then I, I, I kind of circled back to that statement. And I said, perhaps that's why we high five. Perhaps that's why when we're in church and prayer, we hold hands. Perhaps that's why when we sit around the dinner table, we hold hands in prayer because cellularly we are sharing our stories. Mm. And that's what I find so fascinating about the circle. You, you're circling is because through, only through sharing our stories and holding space for each other and just sitting without judgment and mm -hmm. listening healing can happen. Mm -hmm. I like to say in circles that we're really our own best guides. We're the most intuitive people about ourselves. And we get to heighten our intuition in circles by hearing other people's truth, whether it's their pain, their joy, their desires. We get to know ourselves better by listening to other people. We get to recognize ourselves. We get to develop ourselves simply by doing what you're talking about, which is that deep listening. And that's what happened to me in that first circle up in Laurel Canyon. I got to know myself deeply in the first circle. And I also got to practice non-judgment in that first circle, which was I would sit across a woman like you going, oh my God, she's so beautiful. She's so talented. She's so funny. She's so amazing. And my ego would want to put myself below you. Oh, she has it all. And then you would share something about a struggle, a fear, a truth, a past. And I would go, ah, oh, she's just like me. And I got to practice not only acceptance of you, but acceptance of myself. And it would happen so fast and it would go so deep. And it's why I wanna share it with so many other women, especially because for whatever reason, women are taught, I don't know, competition in the wrong way, right? We were taught, a more male version of competition. And really what women benefit from is befriending each other, supporting each other, sharing with each other and getting back to that organic um, remedy or, or way of being, it becomes a remedy. But that organic way of being is so, it's just so valuable. And to me was more valuable to me than the storytelling that I was that I was trying to do when I became when I came out here to to act. I think it's more valuable. I think having a a truthful, genuine conversation with another woman to me mm. is more valuable than like an hour of therapy. Mm -hmm. 
Right. And imagine doing it in a circle of women where I like to guide everybody so that there are guidelines. It's not just like we're hanging out. It's a, it's a ceremony. It's a ritual. It's a, it has form, it has guidelines and it has parameters so that we all feel really safe and really um, like nurtured and helped. And then you get it with like a group. So it feels very therapeutic. Yeah. But it's, but it's not therapy, but it's very like, so the rewards are, are even better than therapy because therapy when it's one-on-one, I don't know. It, it, I love therapy. Let's be clear. I'm like, let's be clear. Therapy junkie. Love it. Yeah. I find circling even more like what you're saying, even more um, impactful than than just one-on-one therapy because you're doing it usually with with 10 women so you're getting you're getting more reflections with with all 10 women than just with you know one amazing therapist so walk us through it you have your 10 women you all sit around are there ever any men so i'm really drawn to working with women okay and i have i have been ever since i was ever since i started doing this i do lead circles with men When I was at the Den Meditation Center, when it was still open before um, quarantine, I would do full moon circles. I would sometimes lead circles anywhere from 20 to 30 people. And there was, and they were co-ed and there were always a couple of men in there. So yes, I do. But now the virtual circles that I, that I offer um, are all women's circles. I feel like men can get together and do their men's circles. And that's, if that's a different um, need, what women need is, is the wisdom of, from other women. Mm-hmm. I want to know, I want to know from you what you're going through with parenting, with birthing, with pregnancy, with marriage, with career. I want to know, I want to know from you because I, I need that as, as a woman and we need, we need to share our wisdom with each other. Uh, and it's very specific, you know, women's, women's work, women's, women's bodies, women's needs are very, are very different. A co-ed circle just has a whole different feeling, but. Well, that's my point of doing this whole podcast, you know, um, cause I think we're all bootstrap bitches. I think we've all <laughs> yes. been, been through, been through it and it literally had to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, um, and somehow find a way to to move through the darkness without hurting ourselves and coming out the other side into the light with some kind of grace and, and dignity. And I'm doing this because I was never really taught the tools. Mm-hmm. I, I'm a jabber. I come out and jab. That's what I do. Mm-hmm. That's what I You're know. Such I a badass. You're such a badass. No, I'm a big, I'm a big <laughs> you are. If you think about it, because I'm just sitting in the corner, punching and kicking the air. Right. That's what mm-hmm. I was kind of not taught to do. That's what I had to do in order to mm-hmm. you know grow up. Um, because uh, my dad was so sick, you know, and so my brother and I were kind of you know left to our own devices. Um, and. I remember going to boarding school and having the older girls be the ones who, who basically raised me, Mm. the older girls who raised me. And so through talking to the women and men on this podcast, I have learned, I have learned so much and my punches are not as strong anymore. And I'm, Mm. 
learning how to feel what I feel. Mm -hmm. I've been taught by all of you to not choke it back mm -hmm. because that's, yeah, that's my go-to is to choke mm -hmm. it back, to swallow yeah. it. Mine too. Mine too. I had to learn. I literally had to learn how to cry and I learned how to cry in circles. And one of the guidelines that I love to bring up when I set the stage for the circle is I always bring tissues and I place them in the center of the virtual circle or the in-person circle. And that is to welcome tears. And that is to welcome our authentic selves. Because in the hundreds of circles that I've led, I always would hear this, and I swear to God, it's the same statement. A woman would uh, pick up the talking stick and just would just feel emotional. And she would say, I'm sorry, I'm crying. I don't know why I'm crying. I'm sorry, I'm crying. And I, I, if I've heard it once, I've heard it a thousand times. And I thought, isn't that interesting? We're apologizing for crying. Well, there's no agenda here. There's nobody, like, it's just us. And we're apologizing because we're so not used to our, uh, there being space for, our, for ourselves. And so I would, I bring the tissues and I bring it and I welcome. And what has happened since I started doing that a few years ago, now women, give themselves permission to cry and they'll, they'll, the automatic switch will go on. They'll go, Oh, okay. I'm not going to apologize. I'm just acknowledging that I'm feeling really emotional and it's so beautiful. It's why I'm so addicted to circling to watch us all. What you're explaining now, what you're doing is to watch us all heal ourselves and go, Oh, right. I, I had to do this for X amount of time, but now I'm ready to kind of love myself more and accept myself more. And as soon as you see somebody else do it, it gives you permission to do it, which is why I love what you're doing here with this podcast and what happens in circles is that we're giving ourselves permission to be more ourselves. It's like miracle after miracle. And we're doing it in a safe space, like you said where mm -hmm. you're going to be seen, you're going to be heard, mm -hmm. and you're not going to be judged. Correct. And we give, and we co-create that together. So another guideline is I'll say, you know, this is a sacred space and this is a sacred share. And what happens in the circle stays in the circle because you might share something that inspires me to share something that inspires somebody else to share something that they never would have shared had it not been for this chemistry or alchemy of this particular circle. And if we have that guideline and that agreement of nothing leaves the circle, then we're giving each other permission to, to be our most authentic selves that we don't walk around in life going like, hey, I'm giving you permission to be yourself, but it's a, it's a practice and it's why, it's why I feel so like embodied right now that I can talk about anything with you because I've been in this practice of circling of accepting myself, not judging myself, not judging you, not judging the other person. And I, and, and I can remember, I just had a memory of, I sat in a huge circle once, you know, Jane Sibbett. Yes. Actress. Yes. Yeah, okay. Yeah. She's amazing. Yeah. Amazing. So she's one of my 
um, for mothers for circling, one of those first circles I sat in, Jane was leading it, James Sibbett, Maggie Wheeler, actresses, all actresses, love Maggie. And I was sitting in a circle with that Jane was leading and she had a, a ranch out in Topanga Canyon, a huge circle, 20, 30 women. And there was a young girl in that circle and she was, I think she was 14 and she was being welcomed into the women's circle. And when she shared, we all just like leaned forward and we were just like, and I was all of like 25, but to hear this young woman finding her voice. And I had so much patience and compassion for this 14 year old. And that's when I got it. That's when I went, I need to have that for every, everyone. What I'm, what I'm doing for this 14 year old, I need to do for every woman in the circle every woman and and in turn if i'm doing that for every woman in the circle then i'm allowing that same thing to be done for me and talk about healing self-judgment that's what was happening Mm -hmm. that's that's that ego that got me redirected back into the circle that was being addressed that self-judgment that that low self-esteem of oh you're not good enough which we all, all women suffer from because whatever, it's, it's what we came into this generation or these generations to heal is the, I'm not good enough. Everybody, every, every woman in every circle I've ever sat in has a degree of I'm not good enough. Yeah, I think when we come out with a vagina, that's like a tag that we have. <laughs> yeah. It's a tag. <laughs> The I'm not good enough. It's almost like yeah. we come out with the I'm not good enough. I shoulda, coulda, yeah. woulda. Um, and, and just let's be clear. It's not enough that you can create life, birth life, care for life, tend for life, as right. long, and doing a million other things. You're still not good enough. Some label on no. your vagina, yes. not good enough. Not good enough. If I yeah. were five pounds thinner, if I were two inches right. taller, if I didn't have right. freckles, if I didn't have a belly from having the three kids, that I have, then I would be perfect. And maybe then I would, you know, get that job. It's the self, the noise. Cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. It's cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. It it really is. And I hope, I hope like every woman, actress, man that listens to us have this conversation is we are committed to healing that misconception or that mislabel that we were, that we came into this lifetime with and it's cultural right it's everything is geared towards us feeling less than and not good enough in our in our in our culture up until now because you're changing it with your podcast I'm changing it with circles it's why and and we're all changing it women are women want to love themselves they really want to and and when they don't they know something's wrong and they can't quite figure it out and then they sit in a circle or they watch a great piece of art and they go, Oh, wait a second. That feel, this feels, this feels right. Like the real deal. Not that other stuff that I've been feeding myself. This, this is the, this is the memory of how I'm supposed to feel. I'm supposed to love myself, love my neighbor, love my sister, love my fellow actress. That's that feels, that feels right. 
I'll tell you what, I so appreciate you coming on today and I so appreciate the time. I love you so much. I love you too. I love you. My, what what are our nicknames? You're my dark dancing horse. And you're my pink unicorn. Yeah. Pinky. You're the best. Thank you. I love what you're doing. Thanks for inviting me.